Hello there, this is Jim, the Keys bartender, coming to you from a rainy and wet and still warm Key Largo. Yeah, we're in the middle of our, I guess, wet season or middle towards the end. I heard the forecaster say today, he says, oh, well, it's going to be in about two and a half weeks, we'll be in dry season. Oh, man, it seemed like it was dry season up until a month and a half ago. So, um, and if you're not familiar with the Keys Bartender Podcast, just to backtrack a little, Keys Bartender Podcast is a podcast about bartending and life and Keys life. So I was talking about the rainy weather. Yes. In the subtropics here, we just get pounded with rain for a month at a time. But uh, then it's dry. Then it's dry. It's it's really kind of refreshing to have that rain and stuff like that. Let's talk about refreshing. Um, working in the restaurant business, the uh, people, I think it happens almost in any place of work when you have a new person come in and they're somewhat experienced in the positions that they're filling, uh, that you have to either sometimes accommodate the specific, the way you guys do your job at where you work, uh, as opposed to what they learned at their previous position. Now, when it comes to bartending, that has to do with things like, you know, where we put things, the procedures we do with when we're ringing things up, uh, certain cocktails that we have on our menu that aren't typically uh, general knowledge and things like that. And they're just the, you know, just the, the cocktails that we have listed on our menu. And uh, it, it's also an opportunity when you have a new person come in that is accomplished in doing, you know, the position, bartending. We hired a person who, uh, a young lady who uh, is a bartender and a server. And when they come in, you can either, this is usually the reaction people get. They always feel kind of somewhat uh, reactionary or intimidated by someone else's knowledge that they may know the job already, which is well and good. I actually rejoice in that when a person comes in and has a background and they know most, almost everything that they need to know to do the job. I I don't really view it as a um, I I don't know what it'd be like if they hired someone who was uh, like me an energetic 60-year-old man instead of like a, a woman in her you know mid to late 20s who happens to know the job and I always take it as an opportunity to learn something okay and it's not just from the people that come into the job, you know, new hires and stuff like that. There's always something new to learn in your job. And that kind of extends itself out from not just restaurant. It goes to all other jobs out there, all other careers. And I know some people may scoff at that and they say, well, what, what do you need to learn bartending? Well, there's a lot of stuff you can learn. It depends on where you want to go. Right. If you're working at a, uh, a, vacation destination like we are in the in the keys there'll be a lot of tropical drinks there'll be mojitos uh, margaritas uh, 
and uh, you know all sorts of frozen drinks that they do rum runners rum punches and things like that that are probably listed on the menu and then there's other ones that people be asking for mai tais and things like that it's funny when it comes to mai tai it's pretty much the same as a rum punch with me most people that order them don't have a when someone orders a rum punch or mai tai or something like that they don't have an idea exactly what they want they want something that's punch you know punch like so they're not too finicky it's when you get a martini or a margarita and someone says oh i want to i want to get a margarita i want to get a top shelf margarita i want to get a skinny girl margarita bubble bubble a, mar- a certain type of martini a kettle kettle one uh dirty martini now when you get orders like that a lot of times person has an expectation of what they want to get so, but generally, when they say, I'll have a wine, I'll have a Cabernet, what kind of Cabernets do you have? Do you have any Chilean wines? Do you have any Malbecs or Pinot Noirs from Chile? And then you know there's a person that knows that. And this is where you can expand your knowledge. Now, I'm not going to be a hypocrite. I learned through, I just threw, I, I, I wanted to use the word from accommodation, but just from being there learned about wines i didn't go into great depth because at a place that i work right now doesn't have a huge wine list and we don't do tons of wines it's not for that it's vacationers that come in and they want the margaritas and fruit punches and stuff like that and every so often someone wants to have a cabernet and they want a half decent cabernet or pinot noir or sauvignon blanc or chardonnay pinot grigio I mean, it's not an extensive wine list, but if you have, if you are working at a place that's more upscale, it would behoove you to spend a little time learning about it and learning about wine presentation. There's one thing in particular, wine presentation. Uh, I did a uh, YouTube video on how you would uh, present wine. And there's always refinements for it, but generally, uh, in the video, I, I show them how to use the wine key. You take the foil off the bottle. Now, this is assuming that it's a corked bottle. Obviously, if it's a screw top, it's totally different. But when you walk up to a table and they order wine, let's say it's a half decent bottle of wine, right? In your medium to high, right? You want to present the wine before it's opened. And you show the label to them. You keep the label to them, towards them the whole time. And if it's a corked bottle, you want to remove the foil. And then you remove the cork. And then you can present the cork to them so they can smell, get an idea for it. And then you pour a little for a sampling to whoever ordered the wine, and that's traditionally the way it is. And then when you open it, I, I did explain when you're doing the opening of it, use a corkscrew. You put it, you plant the corkscrew on the edge of the cork in the center, and it's almost you're laying the corkscrew on its side. And then you tilt it up as you drive the corkscrew in, and start working it down. And then take that cork uh, to about the fourth 
uh, turn in the corkscrew. You bury it down there and then you remove it. And you save the cork. You want to do as little damage as possible. Definitely don't want to. And I, I spoke about this before. Learning learning how to um, handle a dry cork. Because when you do deal with older wines and more higher ends, that's you have to think about that. And you got to think about pairing too. What would be a good wine? What would be a nice, nice, uh, nice wine for what the person is expecting to experience right there? It's not necessarily has to be a pairing with the food, but it could be. It could go that way. Like if you wanted a, a stronger red, you you may stick with a red blend. A Carmenere, a Cabernet, um, gosh, a Red Zin, right? Or if you go with the lighter reds, like uh, the Pinot Noir or a Merlot, and and that's you know that's basic knowledge, and then you get knowledge of vineyards and kind of aftertaste and hints and things like that. And it does pay dividends when you go and apply for a job. And when I, I mean, the way I, I view it, when I'm dealing with a professional and they're presenting a bottle to me, or to my wife, actually, because I don't drink anymore, um, I, I have a tendency to think, well, you know, I should really tip them more because this person's a real professional and, and they're doing a fine job. They're going, putting the effort forth to give me the best customer service that they can by presenting this this wine or giving suggestions and things like that. A lot of times people just come with a, a basic knowledge of wines, meaning red, white, this is expensive, this is inexpensive. I, it, it's just... And if you don't have that kind of wine list at your place of work, you could do some studying by just looking looking up, let's say, general knowledge on, on YouTube. And if you extend that out, there's martinis. If you need to bone up on it, if you're in, let's say you're working in a place and you're more of a uh, kind of bar that's, you know, a shot in a beer place, you don't get a lot of martinis. Yeah, well, if you may want to work at a place that makes martinis, it may behoove you to actually learn how to make a martini and know what dry means and know that generally most martinis are vodkas now, nowadays. If someone came up and did order a martini with no more information than that, I'll have a martini. I would assume it's gin, it's up, and it's very dry. And it gets olives. Now, after that, I would need additional information if someone wanted. If, do you want a vodka martini? Or do you want a gin martini? You could do one of those. And, you know, you don't have to be coy and say, well, you serve them a gin martini. Oh, I meant vodka martini. Well, when someone orders a martini, the first thing I say, do you want a gin martini or a vodka martini? Oh, vodka. I said, okay. And I don't. They don't need to know. They they could know if you want to impart. I mean, you know, said generally when you order a martini, it's gin. If you order it as a martini, 
you'd want to order as a vodka martini if you want to be specific. And then if you want to be more specific, I want a kettle one martini extra dry with olives or a kettle one Gibson, which means it gets pearl onions and extra dry or dirty or just not even a hint, just a splash of the vermouth. And all these things that you learn, even though you may not be using it at your current job, it certainly plays a hand. Let's say if you do get a customer that comes in and asks for something like that, and you do have like one of those stray martini glasses in the shot in the beer place and say, oh, look, this person came in and ordered a martini. You know, it's kind of, it, it, it is interesting and fun to see that when the person walks into a place and say, oh, is it the giant fish on the wall that makes you think that we might have a $900 bottle of wine right there? Or the sign that says, I'd rather be here in the Keys than freeze my ass up north sitting over the men's bathroom. See, all those things should include the person in that, yeah, we're going to, you're going to be getting a rum punch. But no, they can't, you know, they can ask for that martini. They can ask for that wine. And every so often, if you are a particular wine in a lot of places like us, uh, like our place that doesn't have an extensive wine list, that's why they have corkage fees. A corkage fee is uh, when someone brings a bottle in. And uh, you 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 can do that in Florida. So you bring your own bottle, and what happens is a restaurant will provide the glassware and uh, the wine chiller if it needs it, and they'll uncork it. They charge. It's just one of those things. It's just so. Why would you not charge? Because uh, I guess they kind of had as. Hide as while we're cleaning the glasses, we're providing the glasses. Uh, but would you, would you allow people to bring food into your restaurant, sit at a table and eat a pizza and drink water? No. So that's the reason why it works with the, the cords fee, if anybody asked about that. You know, and they'll, they'll say, well, it's not the wine I like. It says, that's why we charge. You know, and typically places that have, um, it's a, it's a, uh, the corkage starts at $10 and works its way up from there, depending on what kind of restaurant you're in. So all these things about extending your knowledge and uh, how to make frozen drinks, knowing the base for gin, uh, how gin is made, how uh, vodka is filtered, how whiskey is aged, what gives scotch its nuance of taste. All these things increase your marketability as a bartender. And like I said before, I have been remiss many times. I've just used my in inquisitive nature just to pick up along the way and not become an expert in those things because there's always, always experts out there. There's someone, no matter how in-depth you get knowledge on something. There'll be someone out there with a little deeper knowledge. So that's why I really, I try to have a general knowledge of the widest array of things as possible. Well, I wanted to get back to, uh, and in extending that thought to 
life in general. You know how there's people out there, they just have a, let's say, a very shallow understanding of the world, how it works. And there's, and you know the people out there, they're not inquisitive by nature. And there's a lot of people like that. They'll just want to get the most basic description of what's going on. And that's the way it seems like when you're interested as a person in a certain subject. Just think about it, a little thought experiment. Think of a sport you do not like that much. In my case, let's say, gosh, I'm trying to pick a sport that I'm really not. Pickleball. Pickleball. And it's so close to tennis and ping pong. You think I'd be a little more interested, but I have a problem with the noise it makes. It's like, uh, uh, you know, with the wooden paddle and stuff like that. And I know it's popular out there, and no offense to the people that play pickleball and things like that. I'm just not interested in it because I was so into tennis. And I guess, you know, it's a, it's a sport that people are enthused about. It's one of the fastest growing sports around. I'm just not interested in learning about it. And then when people start talking about it, I kind of shut down when they start talking about the pickleball courts and stuff like that and how people in the neighborhood don't like the sound around it and all that stuff. Or, you know, when someone starts, they, their eyes glaze over when you start talking about history. You ever have that when someone talks about subject or any, any myriad of things? If someone who has Asperger's wants to talk about trains, and if you have no interest in trains, you can be zombified and just look, stare off in the distance. But then there's people that just have a general thirst for things. And I remember, I guess uh, this is going to sound a little like I'm self-inflating my ego. Uh, when I first heard, for example, uh, 20 something years ago, when I first started hearing the terms derivative, and I'm not talking about derivative in math sense, though it does involve ma math, but it's in the financial investment, in the investment world, derivatives. And you hear about how people are using these financial tools of derivatives in order to make money and how to make money in a down economy. How um, it, it, I never really, when, when I was younger, when it came to financial markets and stocks and everything, I would shut down automatically on, on that subject. When someone started talking about it, I'm like, I am not interested in the least interest rates, uh, IPOs, all those things, uh, which is interesting when you think about like years later, I am interested in those things. It actually does catch my interest. I slowly gained a, um, a growing interest in financial, in the financial world on how to invest on companies, uh, what, what, um, 
you know, all, all those terms right there. And uh, what happened when the housing market, when the bond market, when they, they had these funds where they had these low rated mortgages bundled in with high rate mortgages, but they gave them a triple A rating. I didn't know what that meant. And I finally eventually found out in the financial market when something has a triple A rating, it's the highest rating you can have. And it's uh, financially secure, low risk. And then as you go down the double uh, A, A, and and triple B and and single B, that it's higher risk, higher risk with lower quality of, let's say, assurance that this will be a profitable uh, endeavor. And I found out that when the housing market crashed in 2008, 2009, that, and I guess everyone got that lesson. There was a, there was a movie came, uh, that came out called The Big Short that did a really good job describing how we got into the situation where the government had to bail out uh, major investment uh, houses and banks to the tune of trillions of dollars. And you'd think that you would think that uh, everyone would be interested in that. And they're not. They're not inquisitive by nature. Some uh, some people, and when they need an explanation, they want it to be told to them basically at let's say a first or second grade level. Because once you get over that, and they don't want to know anything more. So when you get someone like that, they're looking for the simplest explanation for questions that they have. So in the world today, if you told someone after the incredibly hot summer we had that broke records across the board, that every day there was a new record being set. And if for certain people, it's like, well, you know, sometimes the temperature goes up, sometimes it goes down, and humans have very little to do with it. And that's all they want to hear. Or there's people say, well, listen, we put so much carbon in there and we extracted so much carbon from the, uh, from the, um, the Earth's crust, you know, that, and then, and then we, we uh, burn it, that we added so much carbon in human activity uh, cre created uh, a higher carbon-rich atmosphere, which trapped in the heat and has changed the climate. And they go in further and then it's changing the currents in, in like the Gulf Stream or the, uh, the polar ice caps melting, which changes the salinity of the ocean. And then there's a higher level, let's say there's a higher level of acidity in the water. And all these things intermix in order to create uh, climate change. And people don't want to hear all those things. It's easier to say, temperature goes up, temperature goes down. That's it. And if it interferes with their lifestyle, 
or their pursuit of their lifestyle. They want to have their diesel truck going and it's going to be spewing out uh, diesel fumes. Then they're definitely going to be one of these people that accept the temperature goes up, temperature goes down. Right? Or I really don't want to learn about space. That's a little too confusing. And it's scary. So I'm going to think about the world being flat and a geocentric outlook on the universe, meaning the Earth is the center. We only once exist. There's a God in heaven that is everything. And it's, there's a book here that is a direct word of God, and he tells you exactly everything you need to know in the most simple terms. Gay is bad. Uh, not going to church is bad. Not honoring your parents are bad. Coveting your neighbor's wife is bad. All those things. There it goes. Very simple, very cut and dry. But try to explain to a person says, well, it's a big universe out there. We're just a tiny speck and there's a very good possibility that there's other intelligences going on. We just can't reach them because of the astronomical distances. And this, we do, do not have the technology to reach, reach them. Even the signals we send out would take hundreds of years to get to them. Try explain that to someone that uh, just accepts the Bible. That's going to take you a thousand years for a signal to get to a nearest intelligence, another intelligence out there, if there is one, right? Because of the possibility, you say it's a big universe, the chances are there's another intelligence and things like that. And we're, you know, eventually we're going to get a signal out there and they're going to get us, but we could be gone by that. People can't wrap their heads around that stuff. So it's easy for that to be simple. They want the simplest explanations. They want the simplest explanation with the world they live in. They want the simplest ex explanation for the job they're doing, for their uh, the universe, for life, for their relationship. In a relationship, if someone's not getting along, think about it. When you're not getting along with someone in a relationship, the basic... Uh, thing is either I'm doing something wrong or something's wrong with them, right? Which it very well could be. But there's also hundreds of other things that could happen left and right. They could be having a bad day. It couldn't be about them. It could be about the neighbor. It could be the general attitude. And you could assume that their general attitude of you, one that you're closest to, your your romantic interest, they're they're distracted, they're depressed, and it's about you. It's about their relationship. That's the simplest explanation. You don't need to investigate it any further, do you? Or do you? I mean, that's the way they are. There's two types of people that want the simplest explanation that they can get. Their kids not learning in school or not as smart as they want to, uh, they want them to be. So it has to be something about like critical race theory then. They're doing critical race theory. And I don't like that. Oh, it's making me feel, oh, uh, slavery. We, 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 uh, we don't really want to talk about slavery because it makes me uncomfortable. I don't want to really get in depth in that. 
people don't even understand what critical race theory is, but they're bitching about it. And right now, in um, we're heading into another presidential cycle, and they're going to be talking about education. And everyone that talks about there's two schools of thought with education is open, um, you know, with open access to a wide range of uh, of theories, right, or a narrow understanding. Meaning that we we want to be able to uh, make it as plain as possible the information that we're giving the kids. We don't want to confuse them with perhaps that the U.S. may have had a checkered past when it came to slavery or how it treated the Indians or how it uh, acquired land from its neighbors, such as Mexico. That's just, for example, history or math. Math could be a little more difficult and say, why don't they teach math like they used to? Well, math is more difficult nowadays. Math is a little more, I mean, it should be. It should, it should be a little more difficult because, you know, considering that people have to be able to comprehend the technology that we have, that they're going to have to study calculus and linear algebra. It's not enough that they just do straight multiplication, division, subtraction, addition, you know, all that stuff. And so it, it, it just came to me that there are naturally inquisitive people and they're open to learning. And there's other people that will take the simplest explanation that fits their understanding of the universe. And I would just wish that they would be people that were like that, were to, you know, were their first instinct was to accept the simplest explanation and fits with their worldview, would expand it and say, you know, maybe I don't know everything about it. Maybe I should hear, hear a little more about it. Because uh, I'll leave you with one thing. Um, you know, there gun violence in the United States is, uh, you know, you can argue whether it's uh, because people don't have enough guns. There's not enough good guys with guns and things like that. But in order to really understand gun violence, you should really study gun violence on a grand scale. We're a big big country and all you'd have to do is you know invest a little money find out where it's occurring how is it occurring is it between strangers or people they know is it handguns or assault weapons is it involved in the commission of a crime or is it um self-harm most of it and what's the breakdown there well the uh interest uh the National Rifle Association and gun interests have shut down any uh, proposal that the National Institute for Health record, you know, get records for how how harmful gun violence is and what is the, uh, you know, and just to study gun violence. So we can't learn about it. We can't learn about it because it could be harmful to their interest.
And that's where you have to do. You have to say, when you're going to learn something, uh, you're going to expand your understanding. Some of that understanding may go fly in the face of what you understand the world to be at the time. And that's an exciting thing. You shouldn't be reluctant to learn because it just makes you more well-rounded and overall better person. Well, that's all I have for today. Thank you for listening. I will be back next week. Talk to you later. Bye.